you know what? It's been a while since an episode was filled almost entirely with stories I personally loved. So if this episode doesn't at least creep you out, you're probably already dead. But don't worry, this show is free to enjoy for the living and dead alike. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, here to read eyewitness accounts of the supernatural and unexplained to you. Today's episode features haunted forest stories. For these tales, I'm considering strange creatures as well as spirits, causes for hauntings in the woods. Enjoy. If you want to hear your story narrated by me, send it to me at darkstories.org. Review Unexplained Encounters on Spotify and Apple to help us grow, and catch my other shows and more scary podcasts at eeriecast.com. Thank you. Now, let's begin. Stones Throw Away from Appalachian Salamander I've been meaning to start telling some of these strange stories that have happened to me and my family on here for a long time. I wasn't sure where to start. That had kept me from writing about it, until now. Because now things are getting more frequent, and as of writing this, these things are nightly occurrences. I live in the heart of Appalachia, which is one of the tallest, most forested parts of the entire mountain range. We've had our share of sightings of ghosts, lights in the sky, things of that nature. But the biggest problem we have is the wood boogers, or the mountain boss, which I will explain in a moment. My grandmother and my father are from a small native reservation in the mountains. We've grown up with the stories of the entities and monsters that can hide in the hills and hollers of our land. Growing up, my grandmother never let us go outside after dark, even if it was earlier in the evening, because dark comes early here in the winter. If the sun was down, we were inside. We weren't allowed to be loud either. We couldn't look out the windows after dark or whistle after the sun set. Now, we kept cattle, and whenever a calf was born, they'd be kept inside the barn at night, no matter what, with all the lights in the barn on. Often, my dad will sit up at night, watching both the barn and the ridgeline, with his trusty rifle to make sure nothing happened, especially since predators can be attracted to the smell of blood from the birth. Where we live now is a few miles from the reservation, and it's over a mile off the state road, up a winding gravel road, and while we have pasture land we keep the cattle on, most of our lands are heavily wooded. To say it's remote is putting it fairly lightly. We live about half a mile up from our grandparents on the family-owned land. It's been in the family on my grandfather's side for over 100 years. For years, it seemed that most of these things were just what I said before. Stories. Different family members had stories to tell, of things they'd seen or things they'd heard. Not that my siblings and I didn't believe them. It was just we'd never seen anything ourselves. Until recently. The first time I heard it myself, my sister, father, and I were sitting on the porch having a late night session, just catching up with one another. My sister's dog, Tony, a fearless pit bull, began to growl from her spot under the bench. She stood up and moved over to the edge of the porch, looking at the edge of the woods. Her hackles were raised in a way I'd never seen. 
Tony stopped growling and backed up a bit, still on her guard. But her tail was tucked, like she was afraid of something. Then came the first loud, resounding knock, 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 knock. knock. Three in a row, with long, probably 15-second pauses between each knock. After the knocks, I realized they were the only sound left out here. Other than that, all I could hear was my own breathing. We sat in silence, waiting for something, anything else to happen. We could hear some fallen leaves and branches moving. I saw Tony's ears perk back up. Whatever it was, it was large, but moving back up along the ridge. From the other side of the holler, or the opposite ridge, we heard another set, deeper, as if it was a harder wood. Knock, 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 knock. This time, though, it was a set of five, all coming from the opposite ridge. After a few moments of whispered discussion about this, the first call split the silence. They're just like you hear people talk about on Bigfoot shows. The whooping screams and calls. As we talked more about it, I learned my spouse had seen one years ago. My dad told us about times when he was still working for the police. He'd been called out about something or someone being outside people's houses, and when he showed up to the calls, he would hear the wood knocks, and he'd smell musty, stinky smells like rot and wet dog. After the night we first heard it together, I don't know if I was simply more aware of things happening, or if the activity just picked up. But things have been happening more often. Apples and pears have been stolen off our fruit trees. A chicken or two would go missing from the coop. Screams came more often, sometimes so close, you could hear it inside the house. Recently, my sister saw one for herself for the first time. She stopped and backed up, pulling in at an angle to see better. She turned on the bar light on the front of her truck. She told us what she saw was at least seven and a half feet tall, maybe even eight feet, considering the tree it was standing behind. It was peering out from behind the tree. Only part of its body could be seen, which revealed reddish-brown matted hair. Before my sister and I decided to share these stories, two different occurrences happened that scared me pretty bad. We were in silence, basically just scrolling on our phones, when a long, clear whistle came from the ridge closest to our house. She and I froze, looking at each other. Then a second, shorter one sounded, followed by a clear knock, which may or may not have been followed up by more. That's when the two of us darted back into the house as quickly as we could. We told our dad about it, and after supper, we went out to check about the cattle and take the dogs to go to the bathroom. He sent my sister and I both a text, which read, Quietly and quickly, step out here. When we joined him outside, he was in the yard, still in the light of our outdoor flood lamp, looking towards the tree line. It was the same tree line that Tony often stared into. There were no normal sounds of the night either. No insects, no animals. Except something was whistling in a weird, warbling way. 
like it wanted to sound like a screech owl, but was just wrong. It was similar but also very different than what we'd heard earlier, and it kept repeating itself. Then it stopped. For a long moment, it was quiet. Then came a low, bellowing call. It was loud and close enough that we just came in for the night. At the very least, there's always something to be heard there at night. I just want people to know that there's such a thing as Sasquatch, and they're very much active in Appalachia. Heaven Protects This Forest in Michigan From Astronomica My family had a property somewhere near a national forest in northern Michigan that my grandpa bought a long time ago. We would visit there every year in the summer. Now, weird things would happen up there, preventing me from wanting to travel that way alone. I'm in my early 20s now, with a valid driver's license, so I could absolutely go alone if I wanted to. This story actually splits off into two different stories that are equally, well, interesting. One day in the summer about seven years ago, I remember my mom took my brothers, sister, and I up to the property, where we were supposed to wait for my dad. My dad was working later than usual that particular day, so he would have his brother, our uncle, take him to the property when he was finished with his workday. At the time, there were three trailers we could use, but we normally piled into the one trailer with bunk beds and two other sleeping spots. There was a regular bed and a table that also turned into a small bed. We referred to each trailer by their colors and size. The one we stayed in was brown, the one next to it was green, and the third one, which sat across the field by the fire pit, was also green, but much smaller than the other two. This one we called the small green trailer. As my mom, brothers, and younger sister were settling into the green trailer around 8pm, my mom began making dinner on the propane stove while we played Tinsy with multiple sets of dice. I eventually got bored with the game and sat on the regular bed, which was near the door of the trailer. I remember looking out that screen door when all of a sudden, I began to hear something. It sounded like a harp being played in the distance. Everyone else eventually heard it too. My mom stopped what she was doing and even closed the door. The music went on, but the scariest part about this is the fact that our property sat in the middle of nowhere. Nobody was around for miles and miles. My dad got to the property about two hours later. We told him about it. He didn't seem very phased. It was as though he thought we were lying or trying to scare him. My dad is the no BS kind of man, so of course he wouldn't believe that. But the rest of us remember. This next story is even crazier. That same week we were up there, my dad's truck caught on fire. My sister was one year old, sitting in the passenger seat when she kicked the cigarette lighter inside the holder it was in. Nobody knew about it being pushed in, which causes it to get hot again, and it would pop back out when it was hot enough to light a cigarette, which is apparently when she kicked it out. The fire melted all the wires in the truck together, completely totaling the truck. After the scare was over, my dad realized we were now stranded in the middle of nowhere, with no one to help us. 
We're from mid-Michigan, so we were hours from home, without a cell phone. Because at the time, my parents were going through a cell phone company with bad service after passing through Grayling. As mentioned before, nobody was around for miles, so we were, as they say, screwed. Later that day, someone in a large vehicle drove up our driveway and onto the hill where our trailers sat. They got out of their vehicle and greeted my parents, asking if we were okay. They allowed us to use their phone to call my uncle, to tell him what happened, and to ask him if he could come get us. Not only that, they also had multiple bottles of soda, which they gave to us so we would have something to drink. My mom offered to pay them for the soda, and although she still found a way to slip it to one of them, they refused the money many times over. This isn't the weird part, though. After my parents spoke to them, we found out that this couple knew my dad's grandfather, and they made him a promise that they would watch over his and my grandpa's property for him after he passed on. They somehow, by complete coincidence, came onto the property the same day and around the same time we needed help. Mind you, we had never seen or heard of these people before in our lives, and after that one day, we would never see them again. And to this day, I still never caught their names, but if there's any chance they ever see or hear this story, I want them to know that they probably saved our lives. Sometimes I managed to convince myself that they weren't even people, but spirits from God in human form, because nothing can fully explain how all these coincidences came to be. What Lives on the Island From Country Dweller 05 Before I begin, I feel I should clarify some things about myself. I am a skeptic, even after these events, and whilst my family are devoutly Catholic, I am by no means religious, as I've always had that see-it-to-believe-it mindset. Bearing this in mind, the event of this story has completely changed my outlook on topics such as life, death, and religion, and now I'm unsure how to fully process things. I'd hoped that by sharing this, I might get some insight, or perhaps relief, from speaking about it. As a warning, the following story mentions brief injury to animals and people. Growing up in Ireland, there are many places worthy of exploration and rich histories, as well as beautiful views. As I've gotten older, friends have often come with me to explore these places. The typical group I go with involves my boyfriend, A, and three of our friends, J, M, and H. At 10.30pm, we met up at the local McDonald's car park. Each of us decked out in hiking boots, combat trousers, heavy coats, hats, gloves, and torches. We took our exploration trip seriously, having encountered our fair share of antisocial groups, and, on one occasion, a very angry pigeon that resulted in the small scar above my eyebrow. In our naive minds, we were more than prepared for the night ahead, leaving little room for things to go wrong. We'd all crammed ourselves into my boyfriend's Land Rover, setting off towards our location of the night. That was an 11th century monastic site, hidden out in the countryside on a small island in the middle of a lake, reached only by an old rickety bridge. Eventually, one hour, five wrong turns, and a loose sheep later, 
we came to the bridge that led to the ruins. When I call it a bridge, it was, in reality, little more than rotting planks of wood, thrown together to create a 20-meter or 65-foot long walkway that stretched across the shallow lake to the small piece of land home to the monastery. On the other side, we were met with the shrouded tree line that sheltered our destination, and turning to look back over the bridge, we could no longer see my boyfriend's four-wheeler due to the thick mist that had fallen upon the surrounding area. Despite what you might think, none of us found the area creepy or sensed anything dangerous, not even when we arrived at the actual ruins. For the first two hours after our arrival, nothing out of the ordinary happened. We all spread out over the place, seeing it for ourselves and finding some cool stuff. Things were going smoothly until about 2 a.m., because that's when M began screaming hysterically from the other side of the island. This side of the island was bare of trees or ruins, and was nothing more than extremely arid soil, so we'd found it odd that M would be over here at all. Running over, we saw her sitting on the ground, pointing wildly to a pile of rocks that I'd missed on my first inspection of the area. Upon further study, however, it became apparent it was not a pile of rocks. Rather, it was a pile of small, but very dead, animals. The smallest of these animals was a little mouse, and the largest, a fox. These animals had very clearly experienced gruesome deaths, with eyes gouged out, lacerations along their abdomens, limbs torn off and added neatly to the pile. It's important to note that there are no large predators in Ireland capable of doing something like this. Those dead creatures stank, but I found it very hard to look away from them, and I stared on, confused. We asked him if she had seen anything else, but she was adamant that she had been wanting to take a second look in case she found anything out here, and instead found these animals. Nothing else had caught her attention, apparently. Nothing else had seemed odd. All of us were admittedly a little shaken and creeped out. I felt a nauseous sensation pulling in my chest. When 4 a.m. came, we had finished up and we were preparing to leave the area. The events of two hours ago had been pushed to the backs of our minds and we were laughing freely at whatever stupid tales H was recounting. Until, at least, we all at once picked up on the dead silence of the surrounding area. I mean, there wasn't even a breath of wind or a ripple of water against the shoreline only 10 meters away from us. The tree line was mute. This was unlike any lack of sound anyone in our group had ever felt, and right away, we had feelings of unease and panic. We froze up, before eventually turning back to the tree line and staring in fear. J.H. and I had pulled out our pocket knives. We were all shining our torches carefully along the dark line of vegetation, searching for any movement. It was this very moment that my life changed. I saw what was upon first glance only a shadow, but shining my torchlight over to it, it was very clearly the figure of a very tall, very lanky man. He must have been around six foot seven, and he stood with a hunch. But what scared me the most was his skin. He was covered in lacerations, and even charred in places, rotting away from his very own bones, 
He was missing his left arm, and his lips had seemingly rotted off to reveal a gaping hole of a mouth. This man had no eyes, only torn flesh around his sockets, suggesting they had been carved out, just like those animals. The drive back to the McDonald's car park was silent, and no one spoke a word of goodbye to one another as we parted ways. A drove me home, and when he pulled up outside my house, he grabbed my hand. Look, I don't know what you think you saw back there, but I swear, we didn't see anything. We were all hyped up and a little bit freaked out. It could have been a trick of the torchlight. Just get some rest. I'll see you tomorrow, he told me, kissing me gently on the head. I believed him. He was probably right, after all, so I decided not to think on it anymore. Until last week, I had a dream about the island. Three nights ago before writing this, I made A take me back. We arrived at the other side of the bridge at 8.15pm. I didn't see anything. Deciding that wasn't enough, though, I continued on to the ruins, despite A pleading for me to leave. The second I got to the monastery, a wave of a scent of rotting flesh hit my senses, and it took all my strength not to empty my stomach there and then. I forced myself to look around, and at first I saw nothing. But as I turned back to leave, I saw, out of the corner of my eye, a tall figure standing by the collapsed stone. I don't think I could have even faced it more than that. Ignorance is bliss, right? I regret going back to that place. For your information, I don't take any types of drugs or medications. I'm not prone to mental episodes, and both times I was very much aware of my surroundings. And I will tell you, what was there felt very real. Despite this, every part of me wants to believe it was a figment of my imagination to just move on from the experience, but I can't. I refuse to call it a ghost, as M jokingly called it, nor a spirit or demon. I don't know what it was, but it felt like death itself had shown its face to me. I haven't been able to sleep the past three nights, and I've barely eaten. I don't know how to process all this. If anyone at all could offer me some advice or insight, I would really appreciate it. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play, 
With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. A Supernatural Experience Under a Banyan Tree From Dreamweaver In my culture, banyan trees are both revered and feared. If you've seen banyan trees, you can imagine how old and huge some of them can be. People here believe it's good to circle around a banyan tree as a sort of ritual every morning. The more logical reason behind this is that the air is perhaps cleaner and fresher around the tree at the time. However, as night falls, people believe the trees become home to spirits, both good and bad. So it's generally frowned upon to go near a banyan tree at night or spend the night close to one. I've grown up listening to these superstitions, but they didn't apply in the city. There, we barely had any banyan trees, and you'd never find one unless you traveled to the more rural village areas. One night, my girlfriends in S and I decided to go on a short drive. We were going to drive through the night and arrive at this peak in the middle of the jungle in time to catch the sunrise. We didn't own any cars and thought of renting one instead, but N's boyfriend K happily agreed to drive us there in his car. He brought along his friend P. The five of us set out around 11pm one night after a heavy dinner, blasting tunes and singing along. We were having a great time. As we moved away from the city, towards the rural landscapes, the roads narrowed and streetlights became more rare. We then decided to turn off our music in case there might be animals nearby, and we didn't want to disturb the peaceful night. For a while I enjoyed listening to the critters outside, feeling the wind in my hair and the calmness all around. Hey, do you know that there's a really old banyan tree somewhere around here? S asked. She pulled up the location on her phone. It was on the side of the stretch of the long winding road to the peak we were on. So we decided to stop and check it out. Apparently that big old tree was over 300 years old and had been well preserved. When we found it, we stopped for a while to spend some time there. I think we should tie up our hair, S suggested before we got out of the car. I knew about this superstition as well. For people who have long hair, if they let it loose in a place of paranormal activity, it is believed that spirits could easily possess them. I didn't really believe in all this, but S seemed a little spooked, so I went along with it. So many rules just for us girls, I muttered, before grabbing a scrunchie and tying my hair up. S put hers up in a loose bun. N had comparatively shorter hair that fell just above her shoulders, so she shrugged it off and we walked over towards the tree. The tree was unimaginably wide, and the roots hanging down the branches gave it a more formidable appeal. There were a few concrete benches beneath the tree, presumably for people to relax in the shade on sunny days. The boys were goofing off and went to take a stroll around the tree, while us girls sat on a bench, admiring the night sky. It was a windy night, and a chill ran down my body as leaves shook and danced. Suddenly, N felt a sharp stinging pain in her right arm. 
Ow! She yelled, clutching her arm and doubling over. What's wrong? As and I asked. The boys heard the commotion and came over. There's this shooting pain in my arm. In winced. I asked if she had injured it. I don't think so, she said. Immediately after, every little sound around us just stopped. All of existence just muted. The vibe became very weird and dark all of a sudden. We should go back, Kay suggested softly, and we agreed. Before we could head back to the car, however, Anne began to breathe heavily. Soon she was wheezing and gasping for air. Something's... something's wrong, she squealed, her chest heaving. I can't breathe. Thinking she was maybe having a panic attack and just all out terrified, the four of us helped her to the car, wanting to get away from the deafening silence and that eerie tree. As soon as Kay drove off and we went farther away from the tree, In began to feel perfectly fine. The pain in her arm disappeared as quickly as it began, and she could breathe normally too. What on earth was that? P asked. I have no idea, In admitted. We stopped the car again for a bit, trying to gather ourselves and drinking some water. We all agreed there was some messed up energy there by the tree. We carried on after ensuring all of us were feeling okay. The destination was absolutely worth it. While the five of us watched the first rays of the shimmering sun hit the land, we almost completely forgot about the incident, which happened only a few hours before. We sat there for a couple more hours, taking in the view and finally deciding to head back. It was sunny out and well into the morning, so the countryside was already up and about as we drove. Soon we came across that banyan tree again. But this time, the sight was very different. There were several tea and food stalls lined up by the side of the road near the tree. A few villagers had occupied the benches, and others strolled by and chatted. With the bustling activity in broad daylight, we felt much safer about being near the tree. We decided to go get tender coconut water from one of the vendors nearby. In, though, was still a bit shaken up, so she stayed behind. The rest of us enjoyed the sweet, refreshing drink. S and I struck up a conversation with the vendor, as we both knew the local language. He asked us where we were coming from, and we told him. When we mentioned that we'd been by the tree the night before, his eyes widened. Oh, don't do that ever again, dear, he said. I thought I noticed a slight shiver from him. You don't know how dangerous it is around here. What do you mean? We asked. Well, you see, about four years ago, there was a gruesome incident right under this tree. A young woman, not older than you maybe, was found dead in a pool of blood. He looked into our eyes, his expression growing very serious. She'd been tortured and assaulted by vile men. When he said this, my stomach turned. It's never easy hearing about incidents like that. The vendor looked at the ground near the tree as if remembering. When we found her, her right arm was twisted and broken. She had been smothered to death. S and I gasped. 
We looked at each other, utterly horrified. The villagers claimed to have seen her spirit sometimes swinging from the hanging roots or even sitting on some of the branches of the tree at night. Nobody ever comes here at night these days. You shouldn't either, he warned us. The guys didn't know the local language, so they hadn't understood a word. They asked us what happened and what the vendor had said. We shakily narrated the whole thing back to them. Kay frowned and was visibly concerned. Inn had experienced pain in her right arm and felt like she couldn't breathe just hours before. Maybe it was all a weird coincidence, but we were too shaken to consider that possibility. We decided it best not to tell Inn about what we heard, not wanting to freak her out even more. Kay drove us away from there, and as hard as it was, we pushed the grim revelation of the experience away. A few months later, N, S, and I were hanging out at N's place. We were drinking and chatting away when somehow the topic of supernatural experiences came up. S and I exchanged a glance, and S decided to tell N the whole story, the one the coconut water vendor had told us. N felt sick to her stomach, almost reliving her experience, while we comforted her. We thanked our lucky stars nothing else had happened to us and we changed the topic. But even to this day, whenever I hear some kind of superstitious warning, I do not dismiss it without a second thought. If I'm told to tie my hair up in a particular spot, I will do it without hesitation. You never know how cruel people can be and leave that cruel, dark residue in the world. Maybe these superstitions are there to ward off that energy and to keep people safe. The Tree in Hollenbeck Park From Black Shuck This happened in 2006, in East Los Angeles, California. I was homeless for a spell, and Dolores Mission was my only choice. I didn't want to be in downtown LA's Skid Row Mission, Rescue Union Mission, or Wine Garden, so I decided to go further, to East LA, I was looking for work anywhere I could, but because I was homeless, I couldn't find anything that required me to pay taxes. It was all under the table, so I started going to the Home Depot on North Figueroa Street. That week, there was barely any work. It was cold, so I decided to take a couple of days off. I didn't want to hang out around the mission because there were a lot of gangsters there. A lot of violence happened in that place, People got shot by little kids on bicycles for crying out loud. There's always something going off. Some of my friends, Roberto and Pablo, wanted to go score a quarter pound of green, if you catch my drift, from one of their friends, so we could go make some extra money. Instantly, I got a bad feeling about that, so I politely excused myself and told them I'd see them before we went back to the mission. Later on, I ran into an acquaintance of mine. He told me he was getting ready to go hang out at Hollenbeck Park, that he was going to chill out there and wait out the day so we could go back to Dolores Mission. This was early in the morning, around 9 a.m., so we got some green and hung out at Hollenbeck Park. Some kind folks showed up 
and fed the homeless like they normally do. We ate, smoked together, and my friend decided to head downtown to L.A. Skid Row. I told him, Man, I don't want to go there. I'm just going to stay here. Guess I'll take a nap. I was pretty full from the meal, and stoned. I was tired for not being able to sleep at the mission. Also kind of depressed, because I didn't have steady work. We said our goodbyes, and I decided to walk towards the north end of the park by the freeway. It was secluded. I noticed the gangsters basically stayed on the south end of the park, and all the homeless were up there on the north end. Napping, hanging out, talking, reading, eating, whatever. I walked around until I found the perfect spot. Secluded, right underneath this tree that looked like a big hand. So I laid down between its fingers, pulled out my book, and read for a while. Eventually, I grew tired, and my eyes started getting really heavy. Well, I must have fallen asleep, because not too long after... I woke up to a hissing sound. I opened my eyes to find these two clawed, pale, bony hands rising out of the dirt beneath me. My chest felt like something was squeezing my heart from the inside. I saw these claws grabbing and clawing at my chest, trying to pull me into the ground. I could hear something. At first, it was an inaudible hissing. Then I heard a voice. Then, the screaming in my ear started. I don't remember everything that was said. It, they, were speaking to me. It was more like hissing as they spoke. Well, I don't know why, but I was paralyzed. I struggled but couldn't move. To this day, I don't know what it was, but the voice was definitely female, and if I had to guess... The accent was Japanese. Eventually, the paralysis broke. The hands were gone. I had scratches on my chest and back where I felt whatever it was squeezing at my heart. I was covered in red marks and pain. Needless to say, I never spent another afternoon at the tree in Hollenbeck Park. It seems a bit cold, for kind flying at night. From Kate R. Maybe not the creepiest tale you'll hear today, but a true one, and a recent one. It happened not too long ago on my drive home from work. My home is a disturbingly normal suburban college town, a sleeper community in central Ohio. My job, however, is at a massive factory complex, located in pretty much the middle of nowhere. It's a pretty setting, filled with wildlife, like foxes, bald eagles, even bobcats, but still relatively rural. Being near a city, though, it's not uncommon to see fairly low-flying craft, and I've been given a near heart attack numerous times driving home due to what seemed like strange lights in the sky. However, after a few moments of observation, it always becomes clear that I'm seeing a plane coming into some landing strip or even a radio tower, reflecting strangely in some clouds. That's what made the lights I saw tonight so puzzling. I can theorize what I saw, but none of it makes any real sense. 
I worked a bit later than usual that night, trying to finish up some complicated chart. By the time I found my car and got on the road, the sky was black, though decently bright with a half moon. I hadn't gotten far from the wooded area surrounding my workplace when I saw it. A plane. I figured it was a plane at first. Alternating white and red lights flashed over a farmhouse not too far from the road. It was low to the ground, very low, as in just above the dark shadows of the trees that made up a small woodland area. So low I worried it might brush the tops of those trees and come to a fiery end. But I soon realized that I didn't need to worry about that, as the lights appeared to be hovering in place. Now, I know some airplanes and the like can sometimes appear to hover when you only see them from one angle. However, I actually pulled over and paused, watching these flashing lights for a few minutes. I swear these lights never moved from their spot just above the dark tree line. Could someone be flying a lit kite over there? Testing out some large drone, perhaps? The thought did cross my mind. Indeed, my entire family had once been briefly terrorized by huge, noisy, and colorfully lit kites being flown at night in a nearby park when I was a kid. This craft, though, seemed far too large, even for a kite or a drone. And, again, it didn't seem to move at all. It just hung there in the air, flashing and flickering, with what seemed like more lights than I would think to see on an airplane. I'd been watching these odd lights for a minute or so when I saw headlights coming up behind me. Reluctantly, I eased back onto the road and headed up to speed. The lights above the trees were soon drowned out by the lights of the intruding vehicle, which was coming up fast, very fast. Indeed, I was starting to wonder if the driver was planning to pass me or just run me off the road. Until this point, I'd felt more curious and intrigued than nervous. But now with this lunatic on my bumper and the flashing lights ahead, I admit, I began to feel a bit nervous. It was almost a relief then when I reached the crossroads to find the roadblock was simply a collection of tow trucks and police trying to clean up what looked to be a very nasty accident. I'm sure there's a perfectly logical explanation for the lights and that tailgating speedster was merely that your run-of-the-mill jerk who should have left earlier if he's running so late. Still, it's been some hours since then, and I still keep thinking about it. Not scary per se, but strange. Just enough out of the ordinary I thought I would share. The Happy Place From Vanch Sharma I used to wonder about the world's many secrets, which were just waiting to be seen. I never thought I'd experience one of those secrets myself. I was 17 years old, living in New Delhi, India. I used to live in a small place called Karawal Nagar. There was a small forest divided from suburbs via the main road. The forest was a place where Delhi police trainees used to do all the drills and training. Me and two of my friends used to go there as the place was open for all. We three had found a spot surrounded by big trees. 
it was raised from the rest of the place. It was our happy place. Let's call my friends D and S. We were used to spending hours at our happy place after some months of visiting there. Soon it was August. The forest was flooded because of the five continuous days of rain we'd had, and the river nearby didn't help either. The police trainees had left the place, so it was all ours for the time. The forest had many pits, but we knew the place like the back of our hands. We knew where to put our feet. We knew how to step on our way to the happy place. After the flood, there were people who claimed they saw or heard creepy things. But just like any teenagers, we were careless because we had never witnessed anything out of the ordinary, nothing paranormal. One day, my parents were going out of town for five days. I called over D and S to stay at my place. That first night, we came up with the worst idea of our entire lives. We agreed to go to the happy place at 1.30 a.m. We were ready. We took our phones and some bed sheets, and we planned to spend the night there. We reached the place at 2 o'clock. We were joking about and laughing, this was the first time we were there after sunset. Now, before I go on, I'd like to explain something. In India, there are many different types of demons with different names, like Buhut, Prite, Shaitan. But what I'm about to describe was like nothing we'd ever heard of or read about before. Anyway, after an hour or so, we were all laid back, stargazing. Suddenly, S got up telling us that he had to go smoke. He went off somewhere nearby. It was then that everything got very weird, because even after 15 minutes, S didn't come back. I told D I was worried, and suddenly the bushes started to shake. S was kind of bad at pranks like this. We thought it was his weird attempt to scare us. We went over near the bushes, and we heard creepy growling and screeching and moaning sounds. Out of nowhere, behind us, S came cursing loudly from the brush. He was upset because apparently he had lost his favorite lighter, said it was in some puddle as we turned to look at him. With a scream, I felt a strong pain in my spine, and I swear then I felt my feet lift off the ground. All at once, something pushed me away, as I was tossed back to the forest floor. I was dizzy, but I stood up. I saw S standing there completely shocked, mouth wide open. He suddenly rushed over to D, who I saw was now bleeding from his head. From what it looked like, he had been knocked over, and his head had landed on a rock which we were lying near earlier. My panicked eyes scoured the place, wondering what in the world had launched us. Then I saw a figure, something that might give me nightmares for the rest of my life. It was a tall and skinny figure, about seven feet. I couldn't make out much, but thankfully, due to the moon, I could make out a very demonic face, complete with bloodshot red eyes. Its arms were so long, they nearly touched the ground, but the silhouettes of its fingers seemed small, like they'd been cut off. I stood up horrified and still dizzy, a hand on my head. I ran over, trying to wake up Dee, 
I thought he was completely wasted, but I saw him slowly opening his eyes. We grabbed D, and the three of us booked it. I could hear that thing running on all four limbs, but luckily, it was apparently slow, or just slow enough. The scary part, though, was that it sounded like it was chasing us like some sort of spider. We ran like heck, dodging all the pits in the ground. Suddenly, a bloody scream reached our ears. Without stopping, I looked back at the thing, which had fallen in one of the deepest pits in the forest. We kept going, hearing multiple screams but ignoring them. After reaching my house, we hugged each other and gave Dee some medical attention and first aid. He would be fine, luckily. For the remainder of the night, we talked about what we encountered, peering out windows and searching the internet, trying to find an explanation. But we didn't really find anything that matched. We agreed we would never go back to our happy place. Whenever we used the main road to go to school and things like that, we felt a sinister aura coming from those woods. And I'll never forget what we saw there that night. Dog or Something Else From The Dev I'm 15 years old and live in Romania in a very forested area. So I'm used to wild animals and strange sounds. On one occasion, I believe I had an encounter with something I thought was a dog, but whatever it was, it wasn't normal. That morning, my godmother woke up and went to the chicken coop. To her horror, eight of the chickens were not there. Seven had been killed. Three were eaten for sure, as we found the bones to those chewed up. The chickens had been attacked many times before. A single dog wouldn't eat three chickens, and usually a dog would take the bones or eat them right there. This time, however, the bones remained, so I wasn't sure what it was. Some days after this, I believe I saw the creature. It did look like a dog, but it was bigger, more the size of an adolescent cow. When it saw me that night, it stared at me. On a future occasion, I went outside, wondering if I might see it again. It was that night that I saw something lurking around the forest. It walked around in the tree line, but never approached. I didn't see it for another week, because eventually I saw a nesting place near our home, but it looked abandoned. I searched the little nesting spot, then looked around. A chill went up my spine when I saw the figure of that weird dog thing on a distant hill. It had been watching me, but I'm not sure for how long. Maybe I was being paranoid, I thought. I tried walking to and fro to test it, and its head moved in the direction I went. The creepiest part was when I tried to crawl on the ground just to see how it would react, but when I did, I saw it get low to the ground and began to crawl too. It was so strange, so creepy. I went home, and that same night, I heard something growling outside, something that wasn't a dog. This growl was so unnatural, it was like someone trying to mimic a dog, and I swear the growl sounded more like it was trying to say something. Two months after the incident, I ended up hearing it again, 
a sound that was not dog, but also was kind of human. There was something completely unnatural about this situation. I don't really know what to believe now. On the occasions I saw it, it never moved like a dog. Its movements were strange and mixed, and on a particularly disturbing occasion, I saw it pick up its front legs and walk on its hind ones. Eventually, I would be awakened one night when I heard someone knocking at the window. When I looked, I didn't see anyone. But the thing is, there are no trees there that could have tapped on the window. Some nights I swear I see a dark shape out there. But when I blink, it's gone. What could it be? The folklore here does not contain this type of creature. But I'm dying to figure this out. Woman in the Red Dress from Paranormal.pk I don't put much stock into this story. I heard it from someone who permitted me to share it, as long as I kept their identity confidential. The allegedly true story goes, on a rainy night, three friends named Sahil, Wakar, and Hamza went hunting in a forest. On their second day of hunting, it began to rain, so they decided to pack up, calling it a day, by then, it was already 5 p.m., so it would be dark soon. As the rain had stopped, Hamza remarked that it was getting dark fast. Sahil reassured him, Don't worry, we'll be out of these woods in no time. They soon made it back to their vehicle, and as they were getting back inside, someone tapped Hamza on his shoulder. He turned around. There stood a beautiful woman in a red dress. You scared me, girl, he said. She appeared concerned and spoke in a low voice, saying, I need help. Hamza asked how they could be of assistance. She replied, My baby is lost in the woods. Can you please help me? Hamza, being a compassionate person, agreed to help her. Sahil and Wakar gestured for him to come over to the side, though. Hamza, you can't be serious. What if she's setting a trap for us? What if she wants to rob us? Hamza shook his head. Come on, guys. She seems innocent. What if her kid really is lost? The woman then said, Fine. Don't help me. I'll find him on my own. She turned to walk away. And Hamza yelled out, Wait, I'll help you, just please stop. She turned, smiled, and whispered, Thank you. Thank you. Sahil again attempted to dissuade Hamza, but he refused due to his kind nature. Sahil eventually relented and agreed to assist the woman too, but he requested that he grab his pistol and Hamza's rifle first. Wakar remained silent in the corner while Sahil argued that they should assist Hamza and not leave him alone. However, Wakar was concerned about this woman's smile, which he found unsettling. She moved at an unusual pace as they followed her, making it difficult for them to keep up. Wakar asked her to slow down and to let them know where she last saw her child. She turned and smiled, 
pointing in the direction, indicating where she and the child had gotten separated. This behavior seemed peculiar, and at the moment, Hamza began to feel uneasy too. He had an epiphany and thought to himself, We're alone in this forest, and I didn't see or hear her approach us at the car. Also, if her child is lost, why is she smiling? She should be crying or extremely worried. He decided to text his friends nearby to tell them that they all should make a run for it without saying it out loud. But as he fumbled with it, he stumbled upon something and dropped it. He leaned down to retrieve it, and a chill ran down his spine when he saw the footprints. The footprints that the woman was leaving as she walked. They faced the other direction. He quickly stood up and yelled, Run! She's a witch! However, before his friends could react, the woman turned her head 180 degrees and let out a sinister laugh. Fleeing for their lives, they could hear the sound of her footsteps and her voice calling out their names. Finally, they made it back to their car. Sahil quickly turned the ignition, however, as they were about to drive away, a knocking sound came from the window, startling Sahil. He looked over and saw the same woman keeping pace with their car as they drove away, and she was laughing. In that moment of terror, Sahil began reciting verses from the Quran, and miraculously, at the same time, the woman slowed down, and they were able to escape the woman's grasp, leaving the forest alive. After the friends escaped that encounter, they did not speak of the event for years. Eventually, they would recount the tale to my sheik, or religious scholar. The memory of that eerie night will haunt them forever. The Silver Apparition From Emmeline As a citizen of Australia, I've had my fair share of creepy animal encounters but this one was the one that left me scarred for ages and will possibly haunt me the rest of my life. Most of my family lives in the outback, and even they have not encountered what I encountered that night in the bush. I've heard a number of encounters where animals have gone missing and come back with large scratches, which are unfortunately most of the time infected and often leads to them passing away. Because most of my family lives in barren and remote places in NSW, my parents forced me to move to a more urbanized area. For privacy, I'll just refer to it as my town, where I could get a better education, make more friends. At first, I was upset, but when I saw my new home for the first time, I was excited, even with the anger from moving. The first thing I noticed when I saw my house was the bush that backed onto the back fence. I was honestly shocked. My parents had respected part of my wish to have a place to hide and explore. I'll call the bush here Echo Vine Bush. I'll skip all the rubbish about moving in and all that. After a few weeks of getting to know the neighborhood, my parents finally let my impatient self into the bush so I could explore. Once the gate was opened, I was let out with a backpack with survival gear and heaps of snacks and books. As I wandered the bush, 
I was stunned by the amazing plant life and animals that scurried across the forest floor. As I ventured farther and farther out, I began to feel a chill at the back of my neck. A feeling of being watched, even being followed. I hated that feeling, not knowing who or what it was coming from. After about an hour of venturing, the sky started to dim, and being a nature-oriented kid, I climbed one of the tallest trees to see the sky. It was a beautiful gradient of blue to pink, almost surreal. As time passed by, the chill on my neck dissolved, leading me to believe it was just my imagination and possibly me just exploring a new place. I soon lost track of time. I sat in the tree gazing at the sky for what seemed like hours, watching the last rays of the sun disappear into the horizon. Once the sun was down, only a sliver of light was left, making me scramble down the rough branches of the tree, racing to get back home on time. Once my feet hit the crunchy surface of the ground, that cold chill came back. This time, it was more present and persistent. The chill didn't waver. It was as if the temperature had suddenly dropped to below freezing. I snuggled down into my jumper, hoping to dissolve that cold feeling. As I walked back, I was especially aware of my surroundings. Then, all at once, from one step to the next, the sounds of the crickets died, and all the animals went still. I knew then there was something out there with me. I began to walk faster, when suddenly, this silver shadow appeared in my vision. It was so odd. I was trying to decide whether it was real or not, but it decided for me when a voice came from it. I stood there, terrified and transfixed on it. It was speaking my name over and over and louder until I cried out, Who are you? What do you want? After a pause in its chanting, the silver shadow moved closer to me. Suddenly, I stumbled over a branch and landed on my hand. Adrenaline pumped through my body, causing me not to notice the bone sticking out of my wrist. As I struggled to get back up, the shadow followed me, pursuing me, cornering me. It was too much. I started to panic, taking shallow breaths. I tried to clear my head and stop struggling. As the silver shadow cornered me, my mind went blank. I was so scared, I screamed and passed out. When I came to, I was in an ambulance. There was blood on the paramedics next to me. I tried to sit up, but the effort caused me to black out again. To this very day, I don't know what that silver shadow was, or if it's still there. All I know is that if you go to NSW, beware of the bush, beware of the silver shadow. Ever since then, I've not gone back into the bush. Thank you for listening to Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoy this show, think about supporting us there are several ways you can. 
Search for EerieCast on your favorite podcast app and follow our other scary shows, especially the other two I host, Tales from the Break Room and Camping Horrors. Leave Unexplained Encounters a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the higher we climb in the charts. Get some cool merch at EerieCast.store or unlock tons of cool extras like exclusive audiobooks and music tracks, ad-free access to all our shows, and a huge 20% discount on all our merch, all for less than three bucks a month by signing up for EerieCast Plus at EerieCast.com plus. Thank you. Until next time, send me your scariest stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org so I can narrate them in a future episode. And follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails for plenty of screams and memes. Stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. <laughs>